Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns. And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger. But more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons, and therefore, the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work, and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks, we do the only sensible thing and find a bartender. And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe, and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell you, some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home, please share a pic on Instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag HighballPodcast. And if you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at HighballPolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they be perfect for our show. Today, we're talking with Len Boris, who bartends at the Mill Tasting Room for Dad's Hat Rye in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and also joining Len is John Cooper, who is a co-founder of Dad's Hat. But before we chat with Len and John, let's get a bit of context of what's been going on in the news and why Pennsylvania is always important to what's going on in American politics. So Cotchell, Pennsylvania is our destination today. The site of a U.S. Senate brawl last year between John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz, but also importantly, as we look ahead to 24, it's going to be one of the handful of swing states deciding the presidential race. Yeah, it's, look, I mean, it's one of those states that, you know, it's kind of always on the list of states that Republicans want to win. And when Obama was winning it, we had it on the list. And Trump kind of finds the key and unlocks it. And he does it by bringing a bunch of white working class votes out of Western Pennsylvania in particular, who voted at a, at a rate that we haven't really ever seen in that demographic before. But then there's also the other side of Trump that we saw in Pennsylvania playing out in 2022 where he gets involved in a primary, a very heated primary between Dave McCormick and Dr. Mehmet Oz, and Trump you know, puts his thumb on the scale. Oz wins the nomination with Trump's endorsement and then goes on to be an absolute flop of a candidate, losing to John Fetterman, who at the time had been through a stroke and could barely appear in public. So you kind of see both sides of Trump here where he opened the door to an electorate that, you know, had been kind of sleeping out there in some of these exurban areas of the state and brought them in and beat Hillary Clinton in in Pennsylvania. And then yet, you know, that same dynamic, I think, brought us a candidate in Pennsylvania that couldn't win the general election. So there you go. It's the dichotomy of Trump once again. But aside from the politics, I'm really looking forward to the discussion here about this micro-distilled rye whiskey, uh, you know, micro distilling such a cool thing in this country. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about this as well. So let's get to it. Let's bring in Len and John. So it's exciting this week to welcome to the show two guests. First is John Cooper, the co-founder of Dad's Hat Rye in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and then also the marketing director and chief mixologist in the tasting room, the Mill Tasting Room in Bristol, Pennsylvania, where they pour this fine whiskey, and that is Len Boris. 
John and Len, welcome to Highball Politics. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So, John, let's start with you. Tell us about Dad's Hat Rye and how it got started there in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Well, Dad's Hat was started back in 2011. We actually began distilling our whiskey back then. It was a concept that came about uh, between myself and uh, a good dear friend of mine, Herman Mihalich. We were fraternity brothers at the University of Pennsylvania back in the 70s. We stayed buddies for a long time period of time throughout all that time, went out and had full business careers and then looked at this as a secondary opportunity. One of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to bring rye whiskey back to its original birthplace, which was the state of Pennsylvania. Pre-Prohibition, Pennsylvania was the largest producer of rye whiskey in the world. It was world-renowned for the quality and style of its whiskey. Pennsylvania rye is very distinct and very different from Canadian rye, Indiana rye, Kentucky rye. It all has to do with the mash bill and it has to do with how this whiskey is distilled. We did an enormous amount of research into historic mash bills. We settled on one. We used 80% rye grain, 5% rye malt, and 15% barley malt. There's absolutely no corn in our whiskey. There's no wheat in our whiskey. And we do it with a sweet mash, not a sour mash. It's double distilled, and then, of course, aged in uh, charred American white oak barrels. You get a very distinct mouthfeel off it. You get all the characteristic rye spice, but you have a distinct malt flavor in our whiskey that's very different from, from the Kentucky style and from the Indiana style and also from the Canadian style. We have been told uh, by industry pundits that we are the true representation of what pre-prohibition Pennsylvania style rye whiskey actually tastes like, and uh, we take great pride in that. Let's geek out on this for a moment for the whiskey geeks that will be listening in, hopefully. So you're not chasing, like, current market. Or, I mean, I think we're all familiar with a lot of these whiskeys that get tricked up with their yep. barrel finishes and whatever. You're, you're reestablishing tradition and, and history, and it's finding acceptance in the marketplace. Yes, it is. Listen, we produce predominantly two styles of rye. We produce what we call a classic rye, which is a 90-proof rye, which is a combination of small barrel aging and large barrel aging. That's our flagship product. We also do a straight rye, which is a 95 proof, which is on average over five years old. That's called green label straight. And then in addition to that, we have a, an annual bottle and bond, but we also do some finishes. I'm glad you used the word geek out on this because we have been identified as a whiskey geek's whiskey. People that know whiskey know dad's hat. They will go out of their way to find dad's hat. All of our ryes are all rated over 90 points, which is something that we're proud of. It's also extremely rare. One of the cool things about us is the consistency. Our whiskey is extremely consistent for a small batch rye, and it starts with our grain. Uh, we have a relationship with a local farm. We get all of our rye grain from one farm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and that farm was an original William Penn land grant farm. So that farm has been in the same family since William Penn founded the colony of Pennsylvania. They have fields dedicated to us, and they work with us in terms of when to harvest, how to store, how to clean. So we're making really, really good whiskey. That sounds like a, a pillar of consistency, and I'm sure that's what a lot of your patrons are looking for. So, yep. Len, let's go to you real quick. You're the mixologist. You're tenant bar there. Tell us a little bit about the mill tasting room. We like to give people kind of a a mental picture of the place where you're interacting with patrons, what they're seeing, what they're doing. Tell us about the tasting room. So our Mill Street tasting room is our spot that you can 
try dad's hat whiskey but it's also an area where you can have uh cocktails made with our product but also other pennsylvania products we um have other whiskeys other rum gin vodkas from the from the great state of pennsylvania with uh, beer and wine as well on the menu there so you have our classic cocktails but also a showcase of some other local products as well so we're open predominantly on the weekends, Thursday through Sunday. We're right down on the waterfront in Bristol, which is a really nice historic area on Mill Street. This area has really grown on a renaissance in the last 10 years uh, with a lot of development, restaurants, uh, there's a theater down here. The town itself does a lot of different events, uh, especially in the spring and summer where they'll shut down the street and invite uh, different vendors to come in. And it really just boosts the overall kind of vibe of the town where you have people coming in learning about the history of Bristol, but also getting to taste these different products, whether it's uh, whether it's Dad's Hat Risky, whether it's some of the other breweries and distillers in the area. So Bristol's kind of a small town with 10, 12,000 people, something like that. Maybe it's a little bigger now. Is it in Bucks County? It is southeastern portion of Bucks County, right bordering on uh, right outside of Philadelphia. We have a lot of people that are sort of migrating out of Philadelphia, looking for a, a mm-hmm. little bit more of a small town feel to start either their family or their life together. So you have some young professionals in town. You also have some people that have uh, grown up in Bristol, lived in Bristol all their life. We'll get into Bucks County a little bit because it comes up in, uh, for political junk, it's kind of an important kind of, before we do that, we definitely want to feature your signature cocktail. I actually have two recipes that I want to talk about here. So we have our traditional Manhattan. That's something that uh, we really like to, to talk about as a way to showcase what rye whiskey has been used to make for a long time. So our dad's hat Manhattan starts out with uh, two and a half ounces of uh, our rye whiskey, an ounce of sweet vermouth, and then we do a mix of dash of Angostura bitters and cherry bitters. Stir those ingredients together, and then we're going to rinse the glass with uh, Luxardo Maraschino liqueur, uh, and then garnish with a cocktail cherry. The other cocktail that I'd like to talk about is our Weekend Warrior. Now, a lot of people think that rye whiskey is just going to be your classic cocktails, your your old fashioned, your Manhattan, things like that. It doesn't have to be, though. You can utilize rye whiskey in a lot of different cocktails. This one that we have today, the Weekend Warrior, uses uh, rye whiskey, one and a half ounces of it, and then uh, three quarters of an ounce of a honey simple syrup, one to one honey and uh, warm water, and then three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. You're going to mix that with five mint leaves that you're just going to smack. You're not going to muddle them. Shake that together, strain it, and top it with a little bit of uh, half and half iced tea and lemonade. So it's a nice summertime drink that is yeah. really refreshing and can showcase that rye whiskey is not just about the liquor forward uh, classic cocktails. It can be something easy drinking, refreshing for the summertime. I love the sound of that. A quick question on the uh, on the Manhattan: serve it up or over, or the patrons choose. It's served up. If somebody wants it on the rocks, they can be, but we're stirring it, so it's going to be chilled, dude, and you're going to, we're going to be serving the coupe glass with the uh, with the stem, so you're going to be fine if you just have it up, and usually it's done before it's, it's going to get warm anyway. Yeah, that's what I find to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> Len, I want to come back and talk about uh, Bristol some more. Uh, it's a town that's had some revitalization. Sounds like a very cool place. Uh, we like to educate people about places in America that may be off their radar. So talk more about what's happened in in, in Bristol over the last several years. And then the people that are moving there, what kind of professions are they in? And people that have been in their whole lives, what do they do for a living? We see a real wide variety of people coming in. It's not one specific type of profession or anything like that. You have people that are are working in manufacturing. Some tech jobs have come into into the town. So you have some young professionals that are not only just working in manufacturing, but also in tech. And then you have 
in addition to that, the hospitality jobs. So you have bars, distilleries, breweries, you have a theater, you have a well-rounded demographic of people and career paths. So I want to widen the aperture a bit here because we're going to go into the politics and policy section a little bit. I mentioned Bucks County earlier, known to political junkies as a real swing county over the past several election cycles. Obviously, Pennsylvania has been huge in our politics the last several years because we've seen it kind of swing back and forth. It's one of the states that Donald Trump won in 2016 that was a surprise to everybody. It was really a, you know one of those hard states for a Republican presidential candidate to win. So, you know, Bucks County, kind of suburban, not a long commute to Philadelphia, but it's one of those places, and there are not many in the country anymore, that really swing back and forth between the parties. What do you think's driving that? Are there economic anxieties that sometimes pop up and people want to make a change? Is there, in politics, we talk about a right track, wrong track number. Is there some of that going on where people get really frustrated and, and then they maybe want to change directions, go another way with their politics? What can you say sort of more generally about the region and why it's so important and going back and forth between these parties? The first thing that comes to mind in Bucks County is just the diverse amount of people you have. And just with, with all the different counties that occupy in Bucks County, you have demographics that stretch from the top to the bottom in terms of wealth. And you have demographics in terms of race and education that really allow you to have a diverse collection of Pennsylvanians, which Pennsylvania's by nature was always a swing state, and you just have that even more of a microcosm in just Bucks County itself. Now, is there an issue or, or one way or another that kind of pushes people one way? I don't see a specific issue. To me, what I see is different levels of excitement, where in some cycles you see people that are really getting up for a particular candidate that is speaking to them. And then in other cycles where it's like, yeah, I'm going to go and vote, but I'm not running to the polls. I'm going to be there, uh -huh. but I'm not necessarily excited about a certain candidate. Quick follow-up on that. You mentioned all the diversity. I think that's absolutely true. I've seen the numbers and kind of watched things play out in Bucks County. It is one of those counties that moves around a lot. And of course, Pennsylvania is a really diverse you know, state. Obviously, Western Pennsylvania, very conservative, rural precincts that went really huge for for Trump in the last two cycles. Then you've got big urban centers like Pittsburgh and Philly that are really blue. What are the local politics there like? I mean, I know you just had in Philly, you had a big election with the prosecutor, you know, people kind of come in at them. You see a lot of crime and all that sort of thing. Locally, are we talking about just, you know, economic development and jobs and kind of the normal standard fare? Or are there other bigger things that are popping up? I think there are people that would love for that to be what politics is. Would love for politics to be a discussion about the best way to simulate education, the best way to fight crime. And I think what I've seen most of all is a frustration when it sort of gets away from that. And when you get into the different social issues, that's when people sort of don't want to talk about it anymore and they get to the things that they see as right and wrong versus a my opinion, your opinion conversation. And I think that there are a lot of people that would love to see politics get back to a lot more of services that could help and the ways that government can help people and not just be about pitting one side against the other, finding these different groups that really just divide us. So speaking of politics that divide us, Pennsylvania, of course, is one of the focal points in the 22 elections 
for the U.S. Senate. Big governor's race, too. But the Senate, which was hanging in the balance of who was going to control it, Democrats or Republicans, Pennsylvania was one of those states that was going to be deciding factor on this. And of course, uh, your Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman beat celebrity doctor, I guess we call him, Ahmed Oz, in a very high profile race that probably a lot of people around the country were were aware of, even though just Mm -hmm. Pennsylvanians were the only ones to get to vote on it. I guess address if there's any like hangover from that election. But, you know, since coming to the Senate, there's also been this issue where Fetterman has been unable to always be at work and then checked himself into the hospital. He, of course, famously had a stroke during the campaign and then has had depression issues. He cited why he went into to medical care and was missing days in, in the Senate. Is the Fetterman issue something people are talking about? And if so, where, you know, where do people fall? You know, do we be sympathetic and give him birth, wide birth, or is he not doing his job? I think when we were going through the election, you had kind of two main specific issues to each candidate. You had Fetterman with the health concerns, and you had Oz with not really being a Pennsylvanian. And I feel like right. the people that were against Fetterman's health issues and felt that that was too big of an issue are the same people now that you see that are citing him as a concern. I don't see much of it, but that's where I think people that have gone down this path are give, the ones that are supporting Fetterman have said, okay, give him the benefit of the doubt and see what happens now. And, and you're starting to see some of his activity in, in the Senate where it's like, oh, okay, this is what we we're hoping to get. But the people that were for Oz in the beginning are like, oh, this is the, the I told you so's. Yeah. So everyone's predominantly still wearing their team colors on, yeah. on, on this what issue. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or in, in this case, their team hoodies. Len, where do you fall on the hoodie in the Senate as it relates to the decorum that we like to see among our national leaders? Which you know, Fetterman has made famous, we should add. Yeah. <laughs> as somebody who used to wear a suit uh, and had to wear a button down every day and now gets to wear hoodies, I support it. I support yeah, being comfortable at work. You know, there's some days where maybe you put the suit on, but I don't think it needs to be every day. We haven't actually interviewed anyone pouring drinks in a tasting room yet. Mostly we've been focused on kind of neighborhood bars where you do see a lot of repeat patrons. I guess we've had some bars where you've got a lot of business travel and that sort of thing. I wonder if, you know, if you go to a bar once a week or twice a week, maybe you're not quite norm from Cheers, but you're you're going to the same place. You get real comfortable and you can talk about things like this. You know, one day the topic might be, you know, the Eagles might, you know, maybe lost on Sunday. Everybody's talking about that. But then the next day you, know, you go to talking about the mayor and what he did or what they did. Do you find that at a tasting room, you're really getting a totally different clientele? They're coming through, you know, they don't always know each other. It's not really building a community. You're obviously seeing a lot of different people all the time, right? You maybe have some regulars, but not quite like the neighborhood bar would. You're not getting the same day-to-day customers. And we do have our regulars and, and everybody in Bristol does. So it's not the, the daily regulars. You probably see people once a week, that type of thing. But what has really been exciting for me to see in Bristol has been just the general welcoming nature of the people there. We've done events where we've put people together at the same table and they end up like trading phone numbers at the end and joining each other for events in the future. So there is a general camaraderie of the people in this town. You know, we are a tasting room, but if you were walking down the street, we would look like a bar just like anybody else. We try to make it a familiar, comfortable atmosphere. That, yes, specializes in one specific whiskey, and, and we're definitely not shy about our affiliation with Dad's Hat. That's the whole point of opening the tasting room, but it would look like a normal bar. It's anyone that's coming down the street. Especially in a state like Pennsylvania, which will be critical to determining who the next president is 
and Bucks County being critical to determining what Pennsylvania is going to determine. What is your sense from people coming through of how they're feeling about the president? And maybe if it's just small little clues you may pick up, you know, beyond just explicit conversations, but is there a general sense of a sentiment that you pick up regarding Biden? I think that you have a lot of people that went from seeing the previous president on the news every single day. You couldn't go a day without hearing a sound, but you couldn't go a day without hearing something that President Trump was doing to now not seeing as much from President Biden. So there is this wonder about, okay, what's 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 going on? Is there is there news you made? Is there something happening? And then you have also a lot of people that were maybe introduced to politics and maybe on, on the Democratic side, maybe they introduced to politics, maybe they were first initially kind of excited by President Obama and they were brought into politics by him and then they don't see as much from President Biden as they did from President Obama. So you have a little bit of that, like wishing you had somebody that was more vocal, more out there, more inspiring. But I think you hear the same things you were hearing before the election. I don't see much of people like changing their mind about Biden. People that were for him knew what they were voting for and kind of see it there. It's not like specific to his presidency. Anything about his age that ever seems to come up? He, he was frankly just as old when they elected him the first time. <laughs> <laughs> if you had age concerns two years ago, you're going to have age concerns now. Yeah. So, well, that brings up the next question. Does anyone ever talk about the vice president, Kamala Harris? Not, I don't hear it. You don't hear I, I don't, I don't hear much. Perhaps by design. I don't know, but you don't hear much. You hear President Biden's talking points. You hear what that's going on. There is a theory that that answer would please the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the perception that it is the most popular politician maybe right now in Pennsylvania? New Governor Shapiro, someone local, Fetterman? I don't know that people have seen enough of Governor Shapiro to say one way or the other. I think they're, they're hopeful. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the election was pretty much a landslide. So you have a lot of people that are looking forward to, to seeing what he can do and hopeful uh, about it. But I don't know that there is a specific politician that I would say is the, is the most popular. There's certainly room for Governor Shapiro to run and take that mantle. It's right in front of him. So I'm in Iowa right now, guys. It's my home state. I live in Colorado now, but I'm going to be here all week. And it's absolutely crawling with presidential candidates right now. Ron DeSantis is here today, was here yesterday. Donald Trump will be here tomorrow and the day after that. This weekend, our U.S. Senator Joni Ernst is going to have a big event where um, you know, she invites a bunch of people to bring our Harleys and do a roast and ride, and there'll be eight presidential candidates there. So where I am right now, we are just absolutely inundated with presidential candidates, but also ads all the time. Is anybody talking about the 2024 election now in Pennsylvania, or is that just still too far off and nobody's really engaged with it? I don't hear much yet. I still think people are kind of in your own world. I mean, it's really difficult to be still someone undecided with the last six, eight years of political landscape. You've decided at some point where you're going to be, and I think people are just sort of in their zones on their team, and they're waiting for the next time to do that. But with the Senate election last year, there was such a burnout on that. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. still in, in recovery mode, waiting and, and hopefully trying to push the next election cycle down as, as far as you can. 
Well, I'm glad that the voters of Pennsylvania are getting a little bit of a reprieve because if you turn on a TV here in Iowa where I am, it is, uh, I think, I think we're probably $20 million in to the advertising here. And that's in a state that, you know, boasts only about 3 million people and 180,000 caucus goers. So the amount of money that's being spent here is crazy. And I'm sure that anyone visiting from Pennsylvania you know, maybe they come in for the state fair this summer that they're, they're going to see a whole, it'd be like walking on the moon. It's nothing like you're going to see anywhere else in the country right now. That's what Pennsylvania's in for next November in the general. Right. right. Wings, Absolutely. You will get plenty of, uh, of advertising. A couple more months. They got a couple more months to hold off <laughs> before every commercial is an ad. It does allow us to talk about other things. <laughs> you got a Senate race up again next year. Looks like you might have a returning candidate, Dave McCormick, who looks to be running for that nomination. I'm assuming nobody's talking about that. On the Republican side. On the Republican side. Yeah. Nothing yet. No, we're still a ways away from that. You have people to talk about the presidential election way before you're going to have the Senate election. That's a month or two beforehand. Count your blessings. It does allow us to talk about other things. It allows us to get back to some of those other issues that aren't necessarily one political side or the other. It allows us to talk about the the jobs in our state and and things like that, things that we can do to improve everyday working people's lives. So, Len, let's pivot to kind of a fun feature we have every week, which is where we ask our guest bartender, mixologist, to share a cocktail recipe to be named after a prominent politician from your state. So in honor of the aforementioned Senate race from last year between Fetterman and Oz, we've asked you to come up with a couple of recipes. So lay on us the Fetterman and the Oz, what you've got cooked up for us. Sure. So both of these cocktails are riffs on some uh, other classic cocktails. First off, we have a riff on an alter ego that we're calling a body double, which is our John Fredman cocktail. It's going to be an ounce and a half of Dad's Hat Rye. Use three quarters of an ounce of Chinar, which is a uh, Amaro made from artichokes. And three quarters of an ounce of a chili liqueur. Going to do two dashes of chocolate bitters. Stir those together, strain them, and garnish it with a expressed orange peel. So you have some spice underlying from the the rye whiskey you have some of that bitterness from the amaro and you have a little bit of the sweet chocolate spice mixing together sort of a black manhattan riff there with a little bit of spice and somehow you gotta serve that then in a glass with a hoodie on it (laughs) the required uniform to drink it that's right and then the oz cocktail we have is a bucare riff so bucares are usually made with uh, rye and cognac we're going to make this one with three quarters of ounce of dad's hat rye and three quarters of ounces of Laird's apple brandy. The rest of the recipe is a half ounce of sweet vermouth, a quarter ounce of Benedictine, two dashes of pastry bitters, two dashes of lavender bitters, stir it together, uh, strain it, garnish it with a lemon peel. So what we're doing differently here is we're using apple brandy from Laird's, which is the oldest distillery in the country, deep roots in New Jersey. They've been in Jersey for for hundreds of years. The subtle dig there, for those that weren't subjected to this race in Pennsylvania, is that uh, Mehmet Oz, of course, was probably more New Jerseyan than uh, Pennsylvanian. Rob, you need to serve this with a nice plate of crudite as well. Crudite, of course, being what Mehmet Oz called a vegetable plate. Really a man of the people. (laughs) The election results spoke for themselves in Pennsylvania. Veggie tray, Rob, not vegetable plate. Good God. You're doing it. I'm doing it too. (laughs) Well, no one accused me of being a man of the people. (laughs) Let's bring John back in 
our co-founder, you know, before we depart, John, tell us about where people can find Dad's Hat other than the tasting room in Bristol. Well, Dad's Hat is distributed now in uh, 23 states in the United States, pretty much all up and down the East Coast. We completely cover the West Coast, except for Oregon. We have California and uh, Washington State. We're available in the upper Midwest. Uh, we actually are available in Kentucky. Well, right at the heart of bourbon. Oh, yeah. Now available in Louisiana, Missouri, Nevada. And then for the state that you won't find us readily available, we're not actively distributing. We're available from virtually every online retail house. Sealbox, there's several organizations out of California, several out of New York, a couple out of Washington, D.C. that sell us in their online stores. Sealbox, by the way, they do an excellent job. Anyone that wants to look for that, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H. They actually do single barrels. Sealback buys single barrels from us, and then they will sell those that pass strength. Oh, that's great. That means an ice cube for you, Kachel. If uh, right. you're doing castray, hey, uh, you know, I got about six of them in my freezer right now, just waiting to come out. So I'll get my bottle of dad's hat and get working on these cocktails. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. The reason we do this pod is to have fun and actually to find people like both of you. So thank you yep. for teaching us something about your place in the country, in this part of Pennsylvania. And also about your amazing spirit that you're distilling that's returning rye drinkers to the roots of pre-Prohibition era rye whiskey. That's just an outstanding story. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, Rob, Bristol sounds like a delightful place. And uh, the Mill Street Tasting Room sounds like a place that you and I could hang out for a couple hours drinking dad's hat. What'd you think of the episode? I thought it was great. I mean, we got, we got a little sense of, you know, there's a lot of political fatigue in this part of the country in Pennsylvania, specifically Bucks County, which becomes such a focal point of any statewide race to be expected. I really loved the history we got on rye whiskey. So, you know, for our listeners that, you know, like a good dose of what we're going to learn about spirits. I thought that was great. John walking us through that. It's a great example, I think, of there's parts in this country that have these little hamlets. So this town was incorporated before Philadelphia, Bristol was, right? So this is right. American antiquity, the ruins of Rome when it comes to the North America. <laughs> and yet the, this yeah. town is revitalized. It's hitting all types of yeah. top 10 lists for, you know, great small towns. There's a food scene there. And then there's, you know, small businessmen with vision that want to do something artisan that are, that are contributing to local culture and economy as well. I, it was a great way to learn about some place in the country most of us would drive by. Yeah, I, I love that too, Rob. And I think, you know, the fact that they can go back and do the kind of pre-prohibition take on rye, it's not only something just fun to talk about, but I'm sure it's great to drink. I'm going to go online and get a bottle and try a couple of these cocktails out this I weekend. Favor, I favor rye, and so I'm excited to get a bottle. Well, let's come back and do a little uh, post-salute here in the weeks ahead on our, our dad's hat recipes. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Highball Politics. Thank you for giving us a shot, and the pun is intended. Please join us next week as we pull up a bar stool in another politically, culturally important state in this great land and interview a bartender there and find out what the locals are drinking, saying, especially about politics as the primary season heats up. Until then, cheers, Cottle. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Cottle and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. 
and find us on social media. We're at Fiveball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your picks of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.